This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk technology, computing, the internet, uh, gadgets, uh, all of the good stuff. Uh, tonight on the show, it is Simon Leo Brown. Simon, how are you? I am well. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's good to be toasty inside, out of the rain and wind. Um, I'm kind of a little bit over winter, so I'm happy to just put some woolly socks it on. It has officially been a very windy winter, so the internet mm. told me today. Yeah, I did see that. Um, not very wet either, um, which is a shame. We need the rain. I'm with you also, uh, I'm Warren Davies. Um, we've got a super show tonight. Um, stoked to have your company. Um, if you um, follow um, ideas around uh, technological unemployment and uh, AI, you might be uh, interested in our first guest tonight. Um, uh, he has written a book on, um, well, I guess the future of AI and how it relates to our employment. Um, the book is called 2062, The World That AI Made, and author Toby Walsh will be joining us in just a second on the show. Uh, also, a little bit later on, um, if you're interested in a career in um, technology, whether that's uh, IT um, or whether it's um, uh, product development or um, working on a startup or uh, working in policy, um, one of the programs that's doing uh, a great job um, in, uh, I guess, fostering careers in that is Go Girls Go for IT. And program director uh, Fee Slavin is going to um, stop in and have a chat with us um, in uh, a few minutes as well. So stick around for that. But before that does happen, there is um, a bit of news going on out there and uh, Simon and I have put our journalistic hats on. Um, they've got like a little feather on one side and we're going to bring in some of the news. Um, first up, Simon, I think there has been some um, news around Tesla. Um, depending on how you look at it, people have been suggesting that um, uh, the head has been manipulating the stock price um, to, to his own end. But there's a suggestion that the uh, company might go private again after um, the public listing in 2010. Um the aim for that is to have less volatility in the company and to line it up with its long-term value, which is, um, I guess, part of the project to um, automate us and get us to Mars and make things a little bit easier. But yeah, there's been some reassurances to staff that if they do have stock, that um, the stock might be reacquired at a fair price. Um, the suggestion is he's trying to push up the price at the moment um, to help out with that. So I thought it was really confusing because he said he said that uh, the you would. The ownership, anyone who was already an owner could be an owner if it was private. I didn't quite understand what he meant by that. Yeah, well, he's trying to, he's got, um, he's figured it out where he's got um, at $420 a share, he's got kind of funding secured to take the company private again. And the, the stock's at about 380 American um, as of the close of business yesterday. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... It remains to be seen what the company structure would actually look like um, as a private business. But if they did actually go private, um, they would actually be the third most valuable um, car manufacturer up there with uh, Daimler Chrysler. So um, interesting. We'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that one. Um, another one um, that we do have to watch as well is uh, online Naplin tests. Um, so they there has been a brouhaha um, and a ruckus uh, around um, test results this year. Um, for the first time in 10 years, um, the MySchool website might not be able to actually compare uh, 2018 Naplin scores between schools or with previous years um, uh, amid some concerns that these um, discrepancies in, in results. Interestingly, not just in the um, students who did the pen and paper tests um, and the online tests, but even within the online tests, there was differences in um, the results there as well. 
Because the online tests are designed to extend a student. So if mm. you are answering the test well, is my understanding, then you'll be sort of given more questions. More questions. Yes, more. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's. I guess. I guess that is hard if you've kind of got, um, say, fifty percent of the students just completing the bare minimum and fifty percent going further. How do you con- how do you compare the two? Well, I thought the idea of standardised testing was that mm. there was a standard test. Yes. Well, but I mean, if that's how it works, presumably they could just test um, the basket of standard responses or standard questions that everyone completed or were required to complete. So we'll see. Um, it's interesting. So I think for um, three years, there's a transition period where they're going to move from uh, from pen and paper tests to the online tests. So yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on that one. Um, another thing that is really interesting to me is when we do get to wear um, exoskeletons and it's not a weird thing. Um, Obviously, it was quite disappointing that uh, Google Glass didn't take off and uh, go in the right direction. But um, there are some uh, places out there where um, uh, I guess cyborg type materials uh, are very useful to us and not really uh, frowned upon. So um, one of those is Ford and they're actually offering exoskeletons to staff, uh, which is really cool. Um, I think uh, it's really designed for people who are under heavy load and um, working on um, uh, items above their head. So they're part of the assembly line and kind of um, fitting tires and and wheels and brake pads and and so forth. So they actually went through um, two um, trials at US plants um, and um, it's now available to to staff members at 15 of the plants uh, around the globe. Um, Yeah, so it's supporting workers' arms while they perform overhead. It's um, designed for anyone from five foot to six foot four. Um, And it's actually uh, an unpowered um, spring assistance. Um, And it provides between, I I guess it'd be two and a half and three kilos, oh, sorry, two and a half and seven kilos of lift support per arm um, to actually help you with that, which is great. Um, So yeah, it's kind of, if you've kind of seen uh, some of the most recent sci-fi, it's not kind of full kit. It's not sort of Tom Cruise or Matt Damon running around with kind of machine guns in their wrists or anything like that. It's really kind of a, <laughs> a, a brace around the um, around the waist and then there's kind of a structure up through the back area to support the spine and then you've kind of got these um, uh, spring-mounted sections that sort of clip onto, I guess, the tricep area and then sort of cover over the wrist and go up. But looks pretty good. I, I would definitely want one of those if I was working on the production line, I think. Yeah, it seems like a, a nice addition to like not completely destroying your body? Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing that is trying not to destroy us is uh, Android, um, the latest update. <laughs> you say that now. It's trying, yeah. Uh, I, well, I don't, I'm not on Android, so I, I can't really vouch for, for the bona fides of that statement. But um, yeah, Google has um, unexpectedly released its, its last major update to Android without kind of the usual um, ceremony uh, around it um, to um, versions of the Pixel phone. Um, so if you're on a Pixel or, or Pixel 2, um, you can now download it and get the new features. Um, it's got some good stuff. Um, AI optimized battery life. I'm not sure what that um, means. Uh, maybe our next guest will be able to help us. Um, apps that predict what you want to do next. Um, Simon, you were saying that um, it's been getting a little bit creepy in that way. Uh, look, I don't. I'm not convinced that I have the latest update. Uh, I certainly didn't choose to download it, but I am on a Pixel, and uh, it was already 
pretty creepy. Mm. You know, I mean, the phone's habits are, um, yeah, they're a little bit creepy from its habit of, you know, telling you what song is playing in the background to, mm. you know, telling you what time you can get home if you left work now to, like, there's there's creepy and there's, uh, you know, helpful to your life and sure. everything about the Pixel is both, in right. my opinion. Um, I do feel a bit like I have sold my soul to Google, but hey, it's making my life really simple. So it's that trade-off that you make. This one, uh, it's not really um, continuing the um, fabulous tradition of sweet name uh, conventions. So um, previous conversions or previous versions have included um, 8.0, which was Oreo, 7.0, which was Nougat, 6.0 was Marshmallow, um, going all the way back to probably my favourite 4.0 ice cream sandwich, which was when I departed uh, and went back So what, to, what was this called again? Uh, this one is just pie. Pie? Yeah. Okay. Mm. So we're eating... So we're not eating cherry pie. pie? No, it's just pie. Okay. That's all. Um, from biscuit to pie. Um, Fair enough. So, yeah, I think the um, one of the things that's uh, interesting to me is there's a, a gesture system, um, which looks pretty cool. Um, so um, they did go through it at the developer conference um, not that long ago. Um, uh, back in May, but um, there's a whole bunch of um, things that you can get. So, um, yeah, just some great little swipes and, and stuff that goes on. But um, yeah. yeah, are you doing the are you doing the funky gestures for me? Or was I that am just for your phone funky that you're gestures, talking to. Yep. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, because I wanted to say that I wanted to jump in and say that possibly the most amazing innovation online in the last, you know well, recent history, is the new R website. Uh, it has, it is new, it is mobile optimised and it has some great features. If you uh, go there and check it out, it's got a brand new media player that allows you to listen live with one click from anywhere on the site. Uh, you can play episodes, segments or archives on demand. You can add them to a queue and just line them up. Um, you can trawl through the Triple R recommends within the expanded media player. Uh, and just listen to stuff back to back or save it for later. Uh, you can also, of course, subscribe online, uh, see what's on around town and keep up to date with your favourite programs, presenters and more. So, obviously, this is the place to be. Um, some of you are probably there already. So, uh, tweet us if you're there and let us know what you think uh, at Byte Into It. Also, um, if... Websites aren't your thing, then remember, there are triple R apps. Fortunately, we did uh, prepare one earlier, and uh, Fee Slaven, who has been um, working uh, tirelessly behind the scenes to help uh, young women into um, technology jobs, um, is getting ready ahead of the um, next um, event, uh, Go Girls Go for IT, which is coming up um, as part of the event on uh, August 16th. Um, thanks for joining us in the studio tonight, Fee. Thanks for having us, Warren and Simon. Delighted to be here. Um, and how did how did you get into this? What's your path into sort of being interested in technology and um, thinking that we should be doing more to, to help women? Uh, great question. And um, I have a history. I was previously in technology. I was a chief information officer of a Australian firm, and realised when I looked around the rooms. I was the only female in the room generally, so it just became very evident that there needed to be more of us and it's just such a great job. So I wanted to sell the virtues to everyone. So you need to start early. And mm. so I joined Vic ICT for women 
um, as such and Go Girl Go for IT is one of their programs. It's been running since around 2001, I understand? That's right. Vic ICT for Women took over in 2006, so it's been Mm. running every second year and consistently since then, which is um, fantastic. Mm. What, what do you think have historically been some of the barriers to women either having having careers or having long careers um, in technology space? I think it's a lot of understanding of what women do or that it might not be right for women. You get a lot of encouragement to do certain things. So, mm. you know, if your parents aren't encouraging of IT, you know, they won't push their kids towards that, whether it's women or men. Mm. But often teachers have helped guide that as well, Um, careers, you know, even family members or just seeing it's not really cool and the old, it's a guy in a hoodie, you know, the old, that's what tech is and it's not, it's so much different. And so it's just saying to girls, you might not have thought of the career, but it's actually really cool because you can work in any industry, in any way, you can work from anywhere, You're, you're highly sought after. You're not badly paid. In fact, some are paid really well. And, you know, just showing how that works for them and then they think, oh, I have to code. Well, no, you don't. You can project manage, you can be involved, you can be in different industries to fashion, to racing, to, you know, garbage collection, whatever is your thing. So how does the program actually work? So it's actually an event on the day, but we run every two years. So we have programs throughout of educating people of saying why it's, you know, really important. But on the day, we get all the girls at a venue, and it's at Deakin Uni in Burwood, and showing them through multiple ways of innovation and, you know, involving them of what they can think about or understand. And it's not just saying titles because titles are going to go out the door and we don't even know what the titles will look like in the future but some of the fun stuff that you can do and be involved with so got over 2,000 girls from over 70 schools coming (laughs) (laughs) so very noisy Um, coming which is fantastic from uh, all around Victoria. So you've had some great uh, ambassadors in the past. Uh, a couple of years ago, you had uh, someone from Instagram. Um, two years before that was uh, Karen Stocks from Twitter Australia. Do, do, do these um, people who are great role models for women getting started make a difference? Do you, does it help to have that personal contact, those personal stories from, from these women? Absolutely. And the stories are just so fantastic because they tell that picture that the girls can achieve. So Karen Stocks was all about, you know, Twitter and we're up there tweeting and Instagramming as such. So the girls are really interested because they're only half listening, which is fantastic. And then we had Sophie Blatchford from Instagram who just went travelling overseas but thought, oh, my God, I can get paid to blog and do things. So she showed the girls that that was really achievable. And we've got Ali Watson from Code Like a Girl this uh, year who's just sensational. And um, the girls all really resonate with her because she's young and hip and and she's entrepreneurial. She's not the typical person you would think of in technology unless you've sort of investigated that. And I think she's just a great role model. So you've been running this for a while. Mm -hmm. What are some of the success stories that you like to look at? I think that any time that you get people interested or particularly girls in areas that they weren't interested before, it doesn't mean you have to pick technology. You're being aware of it. You've opened your options. So that's 
you know, a really good story. But we've had several girls who are on the Go Girl committee who went to Go Girl. And so they're now there. And having the conversation with people that are in really senior jobs who have spoken at Go Girl before or who are hiring because you've been a Go Girler. So that really helps open doors. And the committee people as well that helps with their career development and getting skills so there's lots of great stories and uh is there a particular uh person who should be interested in in coming to these events um what kind of point should you be at in making decisions about your career to, to come along to get the best of it we used to be um, from year seven to year 11, but really that's too late. So we've opened it up to year five and six as well, because the earlier we get girls involved, um, that is better for us because they're more likely to pick up the technology and then other people can't talk them out of it because mm. they're already hooked. And they're doing some amazing things. I saw a young grade five girl who's developed an app to find lost clothing at school. I mean, the parents love it because they're not paying $300 a pop for a blazer. Mm. And uh, the teachers love it because they don't have a room full of clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's at grade five. That's just tremendous. That's quite amazing, isn't it? <laughs> and so when you're, uh, when you're there, what's the feedback that you're getting? The feedback is that they never considered it. So previously in 2016, when we ran the last one, we do surveys all throughout uh, and we had about 38% of girls who said they were interested. Hmm. By the end of the day, we'd hit over 76% of girls who were really interested in seeking a new opportunity. Wow. So if you put that into context, that's our pipeline. You know, we've got so many jobs that we know we have to fill that we just can't fill internally in Australia at the moment. So if we increase that opportunity, we're better off, you know, economically, but also for diversity and inclusion. So it just win, 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 win. And the actual network itself, the um, Vic ICT for women, um, is that a pathway into, for, for, I guess, older women once they've made a start? How does that relate to the the event itself? Yep, great question. It's all about recruiting, retaining and promoting women in there. And GoGirl's just one program that leads to this and there's many other programs. So there's GoGrad, so that when you're in a graduate position, if that's what you want to do, maybe not even technology, but you're sort of interested, then you can be supported through Vic ICT. And then we have events every month for breakfast for women and men, of course, because we want to support diversity you know, that attending on new things that are happening. We also have what's hot in IT. So twice a year of really cool things are what are happening. And the last one was related to things that are happening in the health space. And we have mentoring. So for women and girls coming through the ranks, how do you stay and sustain and then mentor others? So it's just a complete life cycle. Mm. Uh, So we try, once we get you, we try and never let you go. Do you get much feedback from employers about why women are better in um, ICT roles or what are sort of considered ICT roles? We do get that. Um, and I don't know whether they're stereotypical or not, so you don't want to really bias against it because mm. I've worked with fantastic men and women along the way. Mm. I'm a little bit biased because I've got the um, gender 
that you know it's leaning towards women, obviously. Mm. But uh, women, you know, are able to multitask. They they're very keen to be there. They do organise very well, but so do men often. Mm. But it's something that you can do part time as well, and because you can do it from anywhere, that's a really great way of keeping a workforce. Mm. So when um, you know people choose to have families, and again, it's women and men, you can get them back. And they can work from home. And, you know, that is all that IP that you put into that training. You're not losing. So, again, it makes economical sense to Mm. keep the people you've already trained. Mm. It's a good thing. I'm interested in uh, people who come along who don't necessarily know a great deal about it and what some of their first questions might be on the day. So sort of wandering around like, what am I doing here? I don't necessarily want to be a coder or a sysadmin or something like that. What are some of the first questions that that generally come out of, of young girls? Generally, we have a big welcome and then we have a program and we run it in streams because 2,000 mm. girls to organise is no small things, moving them around multiple rooms. Yeah. And we have sessions that are really involving and tech- innovative and inclusive. So they come away with ideas of what they could do mm. or what they might be interested in. So they might think, well, I really don't want to be a coder, Ooh, but I really enjoyed making that robot move. Or I really love that website. Or I'm not a technology person, but I really wouldn't mind an app that did this. So it's convincing them that utilising technology and you can then, if you have the skills, craft it for what you want to do. Mm. So if you can't find an app, then create one. And for, uh, I guess, um, young women or parents out there tonight listening, um, what are some of the things that um, they might be considering or thinking about that would encourage that you would encourage them to, to come along and, and give it a go and, and participate? Well, to be fair, that... Um, All the places are filled, but it's every two years. And to encourage your schools, we have some, you know, really great support from the schools and sponsors. We have over 30 sponsors that make this happen because it's completely volunteers, not Mm. for profit. Um, You know, places like Wodonga and Wondilagong, not only W schools arrive, but they're (laughs) the furthest. So they get up at 4.30am to get there and, you know, because they don't get those opportunities out there. And we pay for the buses as well so that no disadvantaged school misses out. So I'd say, you know, come along if you ever get the chance because not only do you get the day, you get all the information surrounding over the two-year program and you meet all the other different groups that Mm. support and there's some fantastic other not-for-profits that do things and go to schools and once you tap in you know you'll never get let them go you're in I'm interested to know what you might do if you were just starting a career in technology um, as a young woman what would you do the same thing or would you do something different what's interesting to you now well, the funny thing is I didn't start as a career in technology. Mm. I had a very different career. I started as a nurse. I was an intensive care nurse. Wow. So um, I really liked machines that went ping. Mm. And I transferred over into becoming a technology person. And so when I was graduating from nursing and working in intensive care, I never thought I'd become a CIO. Mm. But it just shows that you can do whatever you're interested in. So I think people will say, well, I might not be interested now. Well, that's okay. You might be interested in five years' time or you might be interested now. It's always an opportunity. But the thing we know and that you guys espouse all the time is there's no career, no industry that doesn't use technology, so you're never going to be without a job. Amazing. 
Well, it's uh, it's an awesome initiative and uh, glad it's um, back um, and, and going strong. Um, if you're interested in checking it out, um, go visit uh, gogirl.org.au. Um, and um, yeah, it's a great program. Um, Fee, thanks for coming in and telling us a little bit about it tonight. Thanks very much for having me. Um, we are now joined on the phone by uh, author of a new book, 2062, The World That AI Made, uh, Toby Walsh. Toby, thanks for joining us on the Good show evening. tonight. Good evening. Um, 2062, it kind of seems like it's a, a little way away, but probably closer than we think. What, what do you imagine 2062 is going to be like in terms of AI and, and our lives, I guess? Well, 2062 is the year where a majority of my colleagues, other researchers working in AI, think that machines will be as smart as us. And that's the year at which, um, at the moment, we're building limited artificial intelligence, but um, nothing that matches the breadth of ability of the human brain. But um, in another 40 or 50 years, uh, most of my colleagues expect we will exceed uh, human-level intelligence. And once we get to human-level intelligence, I suspect shortly afterwards we'll, we'll go way past. It's hard to imagine that we'll stop at that. Do you kind of um, imagine that we'll become sort of second-class citizens in terms of commerce and um, sort of how we manage information and so forth? We'll be almost kind of like luxurious pets um, for the masters <laughs> that we've created for ourselves? Or? Hopefully we aren't pets. Hopefully we've made some good choices. I mean, that's why I wrote the book, which is to talk about the conversations that the whole of society should be having today about making the right choices so that we do get to sit back and enjoy our leisure time and the machines to, to take the sweat. Um, yeah, hopefully the machines will do the four Ds, the, the dirty, the dull, the difficult and the dangerous, freeing us up for the time to focus on things that are important to us, you know, spending time with our families, um, doing arts, um, com- contributing to our communities, all the things that are really important to our society. Mm. That's going to take some pretty major structural changes, though, however, if we're going to pull that off. You're right. It's going to take some pretty... I suspect it is going to take some pretty major structural changes. We have one with historical precedent, which was the Industrial Revolution, a similar sort of transition that we went through where we, the nature of work changed, and and uh, we did make some pretty big structural changes then. We introduced unions, labour laws, the welfare state, universal education. We, we made some pretty big changes to society to make sure that all of us benefited from the prosperity that the technology brought at the, at the time of the Industrial Revolution. And I think possibly we have to consider equally radical changes, things like perhaps like universal basic income, uh, income for everyone, irrespective of whether they have a job or not, uh, if we are to make sure that all of us benefit and share the prosperity that the robots will bring. Mm. The book touches on uh, a lot of topics. It's not just, um, I, I guess, the economy and sort of what we'll be doing with our, our time, but I noticed um, it references war as well. I, I'd kind of like to think that once human beings are taken out of the equation and passion and pride and, and so forth, we'll get a, perhaps a much more neutral set of decisions made around that. What, what are your thoughts? Well, there is a conversation we should be having about about the way the war will change. Uh, some people think, you know, well, we'll just have robots fight robots. Unfortunately, sadly, it's not going to be as simple as that. Um, the robots will be used to fight wars if we're not careful against humans. They'll be turned against civilians, against women and children. Um, and there is a race going on today to develop autonomous weapons, uh, killer robots, as the media likes to call them. Um, and I'd be very active, actually, in the discussion at the United Nations and elsewhere, uh, warning of the dangers and, and warning that, you know, this 
this is perhaps a technology that should be regulated. So we've regulated many other types of technology, chemical weapons, biological weapons, nuclear weapons. And I think autonomous weapons uh, is equally a, a technology that has great potential benefits and will save many lives. Equally, it could be used in a very destructive way, and we should perhaps seriously consider whether this is another technology that should be regulated. Mm. In terms of our, um, uh, I guess, our, our recreational lives and, and kind of time at home or, or on a holiday or, or with our you know, loved ones or what have you, how, how will AI start to impact that? We, we hear a lot about um, uh, work and things like warfare and, and things that you've mentioned there. What, what are some of the upsides, um, some of the kind of more Jetson-esque kind of elements of AI, do you think? Well, we're going to end up in a world in which it's, it's very difficult to tell the artificial from the real, and that will seep into entertainment, and we'll, we'll end up with, you know, the, the movie business and the gaming business will merge into one seamless one, so that we'll all be, uh, you know, stars in our own Hollywood blockbusters, and, and the movie will go in directions that we choose it to go in and, and, and the difference between between games and Hollywood movies will become uh, become you know hard to tell and then the difference between the real world and the, the virtual world where we go and play will also be quite hard to tell apart and, and you know I think people will find these virtual worlds very seductive. There'll be places where all of us are rich and famous and none of the problems that happen in the real world will happen and so it will be you know quite addictive. I think that may be quite a problem, an interesting problem that will face in 2062 mm. um ha have you been impressed with kind of early uh, iterations of um vr and, and ar do you do you kind of see do you think the the promise will live up to the the hype around um these kind of like seductive new worlds that you mentioned Eventually it will. It has to cross, you know, the uncanny valley, which is that is the, this this phenomenon that if the if the technology is just slightly off, then it mm. it's very disconcerting. But once it gets close enough, then actually we're we're quite we're quite good at, at forgiving. Uh, we we do this in our own lives. We, you know, when people missay things, and we we're quite understanding in cocktail parties of trying to fill in the gaps. Um, and we, so we will do that with the technology quite soon, and it and it will sound very realistic. And that's going to be a challenge in other areas. And we'll we'll end up with it's not just going to be fake news. We'll have fake audio, fake TV. It will be uh, a case of you won't know what you know politicians have said or what they haven't said because uh, there'll be so much fake stuff flying around. So this is going to be uh, um, interesting, perhaps a little uh, destructive in the political arena. Do, do you feel that there will be... Um I think one of my favourite quotes about technology is like the future is already here, it's just unevenly distributed. Do, do you think, um, I, I can't imagine all this stuff arriving at once and we're kind of in this Blade Runner-esque kind of, kind of life. Do you think some of these things that we're anticipating will be here, you know, flying cars and hoverboards and, and whatever, are, are actually a long way away? They're more like sort of 50 to 100 years away and some other things that maybe we haven't considered are, you know, almost upon us? You're right, it's going to be unevenly distributed, but, but you know, we take flying cars. I mean, people always say to me, oh, you know, Toby, you know, where are the flying cars? We've been promised those for so many years. Well, actually, two two of my friends are CEOs of, of two different companies building um, flying cars, and so uh, we will have flying cars quite soon. I mean, it, uh, flying cars had to wait till, till we had uh, enough smarts to have autonomous cars. It wasn't safe to let humans mm. drive flying cars. We had to make it, had to wait probably till the computers are smart enough to be able to do it for us, and those computers are going to be smart enough to do that very soon so we'll not just have autonomous cars we'll have autonomous flying cars and that's going to be a, that will look quite futuristic I, I like to point out to people if you 
if you go to 1950, go back to 1950, and you look at pictures of what the world looked like, you know, the streets of Melbourne, they look pretty much like the streets of Melbourne today. There were cars and trams, and um, but you go back 50 years before that, 1900, and, and the streets of Melbourne would have looked very different. They would have been horses and carts. And in the 50 years, the world changed in a very radical way. And I think we can expect the same between the year 2000 and the year 2050. We'll, we'll look back and we'll see, oh, people were driving cars, because no, by 2050, no one will drive cars. There will only be autonomous cars. It will be unsafe to drive cars anymore. Well, it's unsafe to drive cars today already, but <laughs> we'll have decided it was unsafe <laughs> to drive cars in 2050. Um, and in fact, we'll have lost the art of driving cars. I, mean, I think we're the last generation that will know how to drive cars. My, I have a bet with my daughter, she's eight, that she'll never learn to drive a car because by the time she's old enough to drive, it will be so much easier, so much cheaper, so much safer. I'd be much happier for her that she's never driving a car. So, I mean, I asked earlier about the structural challenges what do you think are the things that governments need to start thinking about doing now so just sort of get ahead of stuff something they have to do now is start regulating the technology companies we've given them the completely free ride and we're discovering even with the primitive ai that we have today and the and and the the reach and the the, the power that they have they it's very congressive it's 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 you know probably changed the outcome of the u.s election it probably changed the outcome of the brexit vote in the united kingdom um it's it's having a very corrosive effect on political discourse in, in many arenas and um and they're not paying any taxes they're just they're um, increasing not uh, not decreasing the inequality we see in society um and um like all monopolies at some point you actually have to decide to regulate them because they, otherwise they they won't be working for the common good how do you regulate um, something these, that you don't know what it's going to do Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, I think, you know, there's some, some things that we know they're going to do. I mean, the, the influence they have on political elections. We, we have very strict rules about how much money you can spend on political elections for good reasons. We don't want people with the most money to win. Um, equally, I think we should have very strict rules about the use of, use of technology, use of social media. Um, we don't want the, the people with the best algorithms and the most data to win. We want the people with the best ideas. And the most um, the most support, not the people who are, who are, you know, these are weapons of mass persuasion, and um, they probably have to be much more tightly regulated as to what you can do. I, um, you know, maybe we should rule that you shouldn't narrow cast messages. If you've got a political message, you should be able to broadcast it. You shouldn't just try and uh, uh, divide people by your political messages, as as is used by social media today. So, other than yourself, who are the people who are thinking and talking about this at the moment? Oh, oh, I, mean, I think there are a, a number of people, you know, escapees from Google and Facebook, and quite quite a few people are actually waking up to the idea um, that all technologies involve choices, and we have to make sure that we make the right choices. Um, and if we just let technology unfold i think the outcome is actually pretty poor um that you know these these companies are stealing a lot of wealth away um and um you know, our political discourse is going down a very bad uh, uh, direction and and that we have to think more carefully about making sure that we get the benefits of technology it's it's, it's you know, technology can be used for good or for bad it can be used to make warfare more terrible it can be used to make political discourse uh, worse equally it can be used to as we saw in the arab spring it can be used to make Make political discourse better it can be used to to save lives um uh, autonomous cars will save a thousand deaths every year on the roads of australia because uh, we won't have idiot humans 
driving anymore. With some of the more uh, mundane AI that we have today, things like um, services that sort of manage our email and kind of give us alerts and, and so forth and things in our smartphone, sh- should we be sort of reasonably sceptical of, of what's going on there with the sort of information and the systems running behind that? Or are we are those kind of the wrong concerns that we should be focusing on these days? Um, no, you should be concerned about these things. People should be waking up to the idea that that um, you know, data about you, your privacy is being eroded by some of these services that, that we're giving away freely. Uh, very valuable information that can be used um, for purposes that you may not actually approve of. And um, you know, so, for example, people are going out today and buying themselves smart speakers. They're always listening. They're putting the speaker in them and that data is being collected by these companies. And mm. it's, it's almost like 1984, except 1984, it was a government that was collecting that data. And here we've got private companies, which are even less answerable than governments mm. um, that are collecting that data. And they can do what they want with that data. Um, and um, so we should, we should be thinking very carefully about... Uh, what happens with our data, and who knows what about us, and and um, what's you know what's the right relationship we should having with these technology companies. But speaking of governments, I mean, one of the big issues right now is the My Health Record controversies. What do you what's your take on that? It seems like it's been poorly thought out, and that um, it needs uh, as, there's huge great potential benefits by by being able to collect this data in one in, in one place to make sure that mistakes don't get made about your own personal health. And then if that data is aggregated in a careful way that protects your privacy, the health benefits that can flow to the nation as a whole from, from being able to learn from, from that massive data set. But equally, we have to make sure that um, our privacy is not given up. And it's clearly not enough thought has been given to, to protecting our privacy. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I probably agree with most people who are thinking about that we one should at this point in time sign out until the until it's a better design system. In which case, then it will be there will be great benefits that can come from it. If you are concerned about any of these things out there, dear listener, uh, the book is 2062: The World That AI Made, and the author is Toby Walsh. Um, Toby, thank you very much for joining us tonight, and uh, we My will pleasure. we will um, finish reading the book and uh, make necessary <laughs> adjustments to our privacy controls and uh, uncheck some of those boxes that we have checked. Great. Well, I've had one success tonight, then at least. Uh, we have just a couple minutes left before Anthony Carew um, is in your ears with International Pop Underground. Um, but there are a couple of interesting things coming up. Uh, Binary Shift is a regional innovation and startups conference. It's on the 27th and 28th of August at uh, Lardner Park uh, in Victoria. Um, it's one of the, I guess, top conferences in the region um, looking at uh, how we um, create the change that we want uh, in regional areas. So it started in Gippsland um, just last year. So it's run by the regions for the regions. If you would like to get along, um, tickets are fairly reasonable, um, a few hundred bucks, but um, go and check it out at binaryshift.io. Um, looks a really interesting um, conference. Um Another thing that is worth getting along to is Humans 2.0. Um, it's being run by the Royal Society of Victoria uh, next Wednesday from 6pm till 10pm. So you'll have to make a start at that, duck out, listen to Bite Into It and then head back in. But there's still a couple of quality hours um, afterwards. Um, 
yeah, if you're interested, um, the event is themed around Invent, Evolve and Decide. Um, there might still be a few tickets available um, uh, if you have a look tonight. Um, it's looking at wearables, transpandables, cognitive enhancement, robot assistance, genetic engineering and nanotechnology. So um, there's quite a fair bit going on there um, if you want to um, get along next Wednesday to Humans 2.0. Uh, thanks for listening into uh, the show tonight. Uh, thanks for bearing with us and uh, eventually getting um, our guest Toby uh, on the phone. Um, thank you very much to uh, Toby Walsh for talking about his book 2062, The World That AI Made. And thank you to uh, Fee Slavin um, who came in and had a chat about um, the conference that is coming up uh, in Melbourne. Uh, I think it's... Oh, it's couple of weeks off, um, put on by Victorian ICT for Women, uh, Go Girls, Go for IT. Uh, we have been Simon and Warren, and coming up next is Anthony Carew with International Pop Underground. But into it, we'll be back next week with some different humans. Um, we'll see you then. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.